after that video, obviously, and, and when we gather for the first assembly time, we're going to show the rest of that video about how the process works. But the, the great joy of this is we get, we get hands-on, putting together the Word of God that's going to go to a missionary who will distribute it to a people that desperately need the Word of God. And I'm already encouraged, by the way, for all the times that we have lined out for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and how many folks have already signed up for that. And I'm encouraging all of you to get on board with that, even if you can only come for a couple hours, if you can only come for one of the time, the, the time segments that are allotted for it, uh, please get involved with it. It'll do something to your heart to, to have hands-on with those scripture portions and know that they're going to reach somebody that, uh, whose life can be changed and transformed by the Word of God. And that's what we're going to focus on a little bit tonight. If you'll open your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And in the, in the uh, video, uh, the gentleman speaking there, uh, Phil is his first name and his last name just escaped me for the moment. He's a pastor now. He doesn't serve with the ministry anymore. But <clears throat> um, he, he, ma he made the comment that this work is eternal. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight as we look at the value of the Bible in the language of the people. The value of the Bible in the language of the people. I want you to think with me tonight because I'm not being mean when I say this. I'm just being truthful. We take so much for granted, don't we? We take the comforts of our American life for granted, and no missiles were being fired over our houses today. Uh, nobody was going door to door in our neighborhoods slaughtering innocent people. We take our freedom for granted. We take so much for granted. And I think maybe one of the biggest things we take for granted is our easy, free access to the Word of God in our language. Uh, sometimes we, we look at it on Sunday when the preacher says, turn in your Bible, and we take it home on Sunday night, put it on the coffee table, and God forbid, but, but maybe we don't even pick it up again until we go back to church the next time. And we take for granted the fact that we have God's revealed Word in our language, a language we can understand. And so many people around this world do not have that privilege. They've never had God's Word in a language they can read. And there are a lot of uh, proposed alternatives. I'm going to address some of those in just a few minutes. But there is no substitute for the Word of God in your heart language. Paul, Paul is, in Acts chapter 20, he's saying goodbye to the church of Ephesus. And it's kind of interesting we're on this because Pastor and the folks who are with him are probably going to be going right through Ephesus where this church was located. And we're not going to read all these verses. I, uh, you can see the text is verses 17 through 35. We're not going to read all that. <clears throat> but beginning in verse 18, he, he is meeting with the leaders of the church of Ephesus. Paul spent more time at this church than he did in any other location in his itinerant ministry. He spent about two years with the church of Ephesus and, and really grounded them in the faith. And in this last meeting, he's on his way from Miletus back to Jerusalem with an offering he's collected for the saints at Jerusalem. And in this final meeting with the leaders of the church of Ephesus, he's going to give them some encouragement about the future of the church. And in this, in, in this, in this uh, conversation with them, he doesn't talk about church growth. He doesn't talk about uh, building megachurches. He doesn't talk about methodology. He talks about what their passions ought to be. And if you would read through this passage later, I would encourage you to, but, but you can see in verse 19, he talks about passion for, the, for God. Serving the Lord with humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, having a passion to please God and serve Him in ministry. 
In verse 20, he makes a reference to the Word of God. This is one of the uh, first references he makes in the conversation to the Scripture, and there are many more. But he says, I kept back nothing profitable unto you, but have taught you and showed you publicly and from house to house. He's talking about not just having a passion for God, but having a passion for God's Word. And then in verse 21, testifying to the Jews and the Greeks, uh, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about passion for the gospel. We ought to have passion for God. We ought to have passion for God's word. We ought to have a passion for the gospel. I believe verse 21 is, is the gospel in a nutshell. And I don't have time to work on that this evening. But then in verses 22, 23, and 24, we also find Paul expressing a passion for God's will. Uh, they were trying to get him not to go to Jerusalem. If you go there, you'll be killed. Later on, Philip the prophet is going to tell him not to go. And the, uh, I'm sorry, Agabus the prophet. And the four daughters of Philip are going to tell him not to go. And, and Paul says, well, none of that moves me. I, I, that doesn't bother me. I, I know what suffering is, and I, I've been through suffering. But he says there in verse 22, I think it is, Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. And that's nothing more than Paul expressing his absolute undying commitment to the leadership of God in his life. He's going to go where God has sent him to go. We get all the way down to the end of this conversation. Uh, look at verse 25. <clears throat> That's not quite the end, but verse 25 says, And now behold, I know that y'all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Paul knew and these men knew they would never see Paul again. He's approaching the end of his years. He's going back to Jerusalem. From there, he has a desire to go to Rome. And he's probably never going to pass through this area again. He's never going to see these people again. And so it's a, very, it's a very personal, it's a very intimate time because of their love for each other. He makes another reference to the scripture in verse 27 when he said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. There's the importance of the word of God. He warns them in verses 29 through 31 about false teachers that will come in. And I'll come back to that thought in a little while. But he said they're going to come in and they're going to destroy the church from within. They're going to rise up from within. They're going to come in from without. And I warned you, he said, uh, earlier I said two years. Here it says three. By the space of three years, I warned you night and day with tears about the, the safeguarding of the church. And then verse 32 is what I want to point out here tonight. And then we're going to, I'm going to give you nine reasons that they've got to have the Bible in their own language but verse 32, he said, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. You know, when the preacher's finished preaching, and, and you can apply this to when the preacher's finished on Sunday, you can apply this to when the preacher's finished at the end of his ministry and he's not going to be the preacher anymore. All he has to, to rely on, all he can do, with those that he shared the truth with is commend you to God and his word. Do you see that? I commend you to God. I've told you the truth. I've given you the gospel. I've given you scriptural principles for growth. I, I shun not to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Now my time is done and I'm not going to see you anymore. So I commend you to God and the word of his grace. Suppose a missionary goes to a foreign field and spends 20 years. And this is, I, I want to challenge your thinking tonight because I said we take a lot for granted. We take a lot for granted here in our own lives, but we also kind of take for granted that a missionary going somewhere can have a great effective ministry no matter, matter where he goes. And I, I, I think he can, and there's some limits to 
his potential. We'll see that in a minute. But suppose a missionary goes to a foreign field and he spends 20 years there. And he has his Bible and he can open the Bible and he can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. In order for that gospel to be power, the power of God unto their salvation, he's got to translate it into their language. Even if he doesn't translate the Bible, and it's not my primary focus tonight, but even if he doesn't translate the Bible, he has to get somebody to interpret so they can understand the truth he's preaching. The gospel is only powerful if you understand it. If you hear it in a language you understand. Are you with me on that thought tonight? So he's got to become a translator. <clears throat> he's either got to learn the language himself and preach the gospel in that language, or he's got to get somebody to translate it for him, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? The Word of God. So this missionary, in this circumstance, has to give them the translated word in his preaching and teaching. And as people are reached and their growth begins to happen, it will get to a place eventually where it's no longer acceptable just to, listen carefully to what I'm saying, it's no longer enough just to tell them what God said in this book. They need more than what you say God said in his book. They need a more direct source. And listen, if I were, if I were the pastor of this church, and, I, and I'm, I, I, I'm not, obviously, but if I were the pastor of this church, I would be terrified if the only spiritual nourishment you got was what I preached to you from the Bible on Sunday morning and Sunday night and maybe Wednesday night. Every preacher can rest in absolute confidence that, yes, I'm going to open the Bible and preach to you, but you got the source, yeah. right? And we believe in the priesthood of the believer. You're responsible to God for what this book says. I'm not responsible for you, for God, for what this book says. Now, there's a lot of inner, inner linking in there, but you understand my point. It'll reach a point where it's no longer acceptable just to translate it verbally and tell them what it says. And then there's going to come a day when that missionary leaves the field. And if there is no word of God in the language of the people, what, what sustains them? Um, if you only get what the preacher teaches on Sundays, you're going to be an immature Christian. That's a spiritual fact. Because there is a relationship you should have with the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to communicate that Word to you that will supersede. And I'm not saying uh, what the preacher says is not as important as what we learn from the Bible ourselves, but it complements, doesn't it? And we need that for our full spiritual growth. So let me give you nine reasons. Uh, look at these numbers. I only left one of them blank because I wanted this number to, to impact you in a little greater way. <clears throat> There's 7,378 languages spoken in the world. 3,883 languages with no scripture at all. And you can see those other numbers, but you know how many languages have a whole Bible? Only 717. 717 out of 7,378 languages have a whole Bible. And that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. I believe I could prove to you from the Great Commission that inherent in the command, implicit in the, in the commands of the Great Commission is, is our instruction to propagate the Word of God in a language that people can understand. One of those would be Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. If they want all things God commanded, they've got to have all the word that God revealed. 
I don't have enough time, I don't have enough skill or, or, or knowledge to convey to you all things that God commanded. So there's got to be that personal relationship with the Word of God. So very simple and practical thoughts here. I want to go uh, through these quickly. Number one, it will make the Word of God accessible to many and not just a few. <coughs> do, you know why, do you know why half the world, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, half the world is still waiting to find out who Jesus is? Half the world. There are over 4 billion people that live in the 1040 window, and 86% of those people groups in that 1040 window are still considered unreached, which means they have no access to the Scripture, and they have no access to a preacher, to a church, and to the gospel. Half of the world is still waiting to hear who Jesus is. And I want to say this again, that's unacceptable, isn't it? So the reason... I'm being very practical and transparent, but the reason half the world is still unreached is because we're focused on sending a missionary. I'm not being unkind. I'm not criticizing our methodology, but we're focused on sending a missionary who will stand with his word of God and tell you what it says and expect a great church to be built and a ministry to flourish. But how do you get beyond me telling you and you growing in grace and you growing in grace and Where's this, where's, how's this going to spread? How's this going to be propagated? Woodrow Kroll, in a book called The Vanishing Ministry in the 21st Century, said, the average missionary has the potential to reach about 5,000 people. If every missionary reached 5,000 people with the gospel, they were converted, brought into the faith, do you know how many missionaries we would need to just get to the unreached half of the world? 600,000 missionaries. Do you know how many independent Baptist missionaries there are? Less than 5,000. So we're never going to have enough missionaries to reach just the unreached half of the world. Do you know that if we were able to set up a gospel preaching tent in a different location every night somewhere in the world, and we preached and saw 10,000 people come to Christ... Do you know how long it would take us to reach just the unreached half of the world? 967 years. We're not going to get it done. We're not going to get it done by relying on us and our possession of the Word of God. It's got to be put into their language. It's got to be propagated. It's got to be translated. It's got to be printed. It's got to be distributed in their language so they can have access to it just as we do. And the impact of access to the Word of God is unlimited. The Word of God is not, do you know the word I'm going to use in the Scripture? It is not bound. There's no way to, to put a lid on what the Word of God can accomplish in the lives of people. And, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to add this to what I was just saying. If we are content to leave half the world without God, then let's continue on as we are, but if we want to finish the Great Commission, we've got to make the Word of God available to everybody in a language they understand. The Bible in their language puts them within reach of God. Can I say it that way? Number two, <clears throat> it will convey to a people or communicate to a people that they are of great value to God. They are of great value to God. <clears throat> I've, I've uh, set a goal this year my own personal life, I set a goal to read a lot. And so far, I'm averaging this year, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm patting myself on the back. Are you all ready for this? 
I've averaged reading over one book a week. I know, I, I know a guy that reads a book a day, and so I, I got a long way to go if I want to catch up with him. But I've been doing a lot of reading this year, and I've read a few books. I, 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 I don't like much to read fiction. I feel like I'm, I need to focus my time on spiritual growth and things that are going to help me and challenge me. But I have learned in the last couple of years that after reading a couple of three books on on, on ministry and the Bible and, and Christian teaching and spiritual growth and personal growth and all that, after a couple of three books of, uh, in, that, in that, those genres, I need to read something that just will entertain my mind. So I can just, just read and absorb without having to underline and mark up and make notes and all that stuff. So I've read a few books this year that are, that are historical uh, books, stories from World War II and so forth. And you know what those books are when it all comes down to it? They're just words on a page. It's just black print on white paper. This book is not just print on a paper. This is a living book, isn't it? And you know this book, here's, I got three blanks for you to fill in right here. It becomes a spiritual force in the heart. It becomes a spiritual force in the heart. An African man said to the missionary who led him to Christ, After he was there about 12 or 14 years, he finished the translation of the New Testament, this missionary did, and he gave the Bible to this man in his own heart language, and he was able to read God's words, and he understood them. After he had a chance to read the Bible and and absorb what he was reading, the missionary asked the man, tell me, what's it like to read the Bible in your own language? And this is what he said. To me, before we had the Bible in our own language, It was like God was coming to visit us every Sunday, dressed in another language and another culture, and the rest of the week we had no God. And now, he said, we have God in our language. We have God in our culture. It changes everything, because it communicates to the heart. It's, It's not just words on a page. It's not just information. It's a powerful book, isn't it? With the force of the Spirit of God behind it. I got on an airplane one day going to Uganda. This was a few years ago. And God has given me some of these, what I call divine appointments, these illustrations that, that, have, that have spurred my heart on in the ministry that God called us to do. But I sat down on the plane beside a lady from Uganda. And I'm on my way to Uganda. She's sitting by the window. I sat down. I noticed she was reading the Bible. And I said... Ma'am, are you, uh, are you a, a Christian? She said, yes, I am. I didn't tell her what I do. I didn't tell her I, I work with Bible translation. I just started asking questions. I said, you a Christian? Yes, I am. I said, what is, are you from Uganda? She said, yes, I'm going to visit my family. I said, what's your language? She said, Luganda. That's the main language of the country. Uh, I said, you're reading the Bible in English. She said, well, I've lived in the States for a number of years, and I understand English very well. I enjoy reading the Bible, even in English. She said, but, this is what she said. She said, when I get home and visit my family, and I hear the singing in Luganda, and the preacher reads the Bible in Luganda, and he preaches the gospel in Luganda, that's what really speaks to my heart. I said, thank you for the illustration. I'm going to share that all over the place. (laughs) That's a powerful story, isn't it? Powerful word. Uh, second language scripture is not good enough, letter B. <clears throat> second language scripture is not good enough. Now, this is what we've been told as a ministry. 
focused on translating the Bible for, for all these, these languages that don't have Scripture. Here's what we've been told several times. Well, they have the Bible in a trade language. That's enough. Second language, trade language, same thing. What that means is that in, in India, there's about 450 different languages spoken. Some say there's more than that. But most of the people in India can at least understand Hindi. Even if they can't read it, they can understand it. A lot of them can read Hindi because it is the dominant language of the whole country. And so somebody said to us, you don't need to translate the Bible into Liang Mai. You don't need to translate the Bible into Assamese. You don't need to translate the Bible into Malayalam because they have the Hindi Bible. Just let them read the Hindi Bible. That doesn't communicate to their heart. Because, because Hindi is the trade language. It's the language of business. It's not, it's not the language they grew up with. It's not the language they were taught by their parents. It's not the language they communicated to their mother and their father in from their youth up. And it's not the language that speaks to their heart. Trade language, second language, is not good enough. Someone said it like this. If you want to do business, if you want to speak to a man's head, talk in the trade language. But if you want to speak to his heart, talk in his mother tongue. A Guatemalan Indian asked Cameron Townsend, 1930s, who started uh, Wycliffe Bible Translation. A Guatemalan Indian asked Cameron Townsend, if your God is so great, why doesn't he speak my language? Uh, here's the third thing I want you to see. Um, teaching English will not work. This is another thing we've been told in our ministry. Uh, just, let's just teach them English. That's the world's dominant language, right? Well, in some ways, maybe it is a, a dominant language in the world, but do you know English is not the world's most spoken language natively. The world's most spoken language natively is Mandarin Chinese, with almost a billion native speakers. Spanish comes in at number two, with almost a half a billion native speakers, and English native speakers are less than 400 million. So it's not the world's number one language, first of all, if you go back through the Bible, you'll find that God always gave his word in the language of the people. God did not speak to Adam in a language he couldn't understand. God gave the law to Moses in the language of the people. The New Testament books are written in Greek because it was the language of the people. God always communicates to us in a language you understand. Last year at our missions conference, we had Bill Patterson as, as our keynote speaker, <clears throat> and we support him. Uh, and, and I asked him one day, I said, you served as a pastor in Mexico for a number of years. You grew up in Mexico. I said, did anybody in your church there in Mexico ever come to you and say, you know, God spoke to me last night, but it was in English. Can you translate it for me? <laughs> he said, no, nobody ever did that. Because if God wants to speak to you, he knows how to talk to you right where you are, doesn't he? So teaching them another language is, 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 not, uh, is not how God communicates. Uh, language is so strictly related to the culture in which it is spoken. Listen carefully to this statement. The language is not what you speak. Your language is who you are. It's who you are. It goes way deeper. Um, here's another thought on this subject, and I could spend more time on this. I need to move on, but... Teaching English has never resulted in a spiritual revival anywhere in the world. I, I know a lot of people who have gone to China, and, and the way they get in the country is to teach English. And I'm not opposed to that. I'm not. 
I'm not opposed to that in any part of the world. But that should be an avenue to get in, and, and then communicating the gospel in the native tongue should become the final goal and the ultimate goal, shouldn't it? And that's never, English teaching has never produced a revival. Here, how about this thought? You wouldn't accept that if it were imposed on you. If I said to you, you've got to learn Chinese if you want to know what God has to say, you would reject that. You would say that's not fair. The only person in here who would put up with that would be Jay Fabian because he can already speak Chinese. But here's a good thought too. If, if we've got to learn a new language to hear from God, then why were we not forced to learn Greek and Hebrew? That's what God gave his word in because that was the language of the people. But God providentially saw to it that the word of God was translated into English and that's maybe what we take for granted. Um, William Townsend, I referred to earlier, Cameron Townsend, the greatest, here's what he said, the greatest missionary is the Bible in the mother tongue. It doesn't need a furlough and it's never considered a foreigner. Number three, you still with me? It will plant the gospel in the culture. <clears throat> it will plant the gospel in the culture. And I kind of referred to this at, 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 at the introduction. But as long as the gospel I preach comes from the book in my language and not yours, it's a foreign religion. I don't care how you dress it up. I don't care how, you, how, how hard you pay, preach it. I don't care how passionately you deliver it. But as long as the gospel I preach is in my book, and you don't have a book that has the gospel, it's a foreigner's religion. And it's, 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 uh, its influence, I don't mean by this that God is limited, but it's, its reach is limited. Because it's in my language. It, it's the perspective from the foreigner that causes it to be limited. And yes, the spoken word has power and people can be converted, but here's what we need to happen. We need the gospel to be birthed out of their culture and out of their language. So there's no avenue to go through in order for churches to be planted in order for believers to be discipled. We strongly believe there's no mediator between God and man but the man Christ Jesus, right? We don't need anybody to help us get to God. But practically in missions, we do. We think we've got to be the ones to help them get to God. And so we want them to rely on us and our knowledge of God's word when it ought to be in their own language. Um, <clears throat> just to illustrate here to show you <coughs> how important this cultural acceptance is. If you were at home tomorrow and somebody knocked on your door and you went to the door and there's an Indian man standing there, and I'm, not, I'm just giving an illustration here, there's a man from India standing there, and he says to you, hello, how are you? I would like to invite you to my Hindu temple. I moved here three years ago and I have started a temple, I would like you to come. You would say, well, this is kind of weird, wouldn't you? I'm not coming to your Hindu temple. I'm an American. I'm a Christian. That's not who we are. This, we're not a Hindu nation. Well, you go to a foreign land and you knock on a door and say, Hi, I'm from America and I'm here to help you. <laughs> that's, worse, that, that's about the same as I'm from the government and I'm here to help you, right? I'm from America and I'm here to help you. I want to tell you something you never knew before, but this is going to change your life. I've got the best news you ever heard and I've got the only way to heaven. I've got the only answer for what you, you need in your life. You know what they're going to do? Well, we've had our religion for hundreds of years. 
Who do you think you are? Telling me you've got a better way? My way's been wrong all this time? See, a lot of missionaries go to the field with this romanticized idea of as soon as I get to the field and I share Jesus Christ with these people, they're going to fall on the floor dying to be saved. But he gets there and he finds out they don't want your Jesus. They're fine with their Buddhist gods and their Hindu gods and their Sikh religion and, and, and all these other 479 false religions or more. So this cultural idea of, of, of uh, cultural relationship with the gospel is very real and what breaks the, the, crosses the divide, what, what crosses the bridge into the culture is the word of God in the language of the people. And they can open the Bible in their own language. They can see the power of the gospel and the power of God and his revealed, uh, the re revelation of himself in the word of God. Number four, you know, before I move on, it's the same idea with Islam. There are, there are well over 2,000 mosques in America now. And that, that was a few years ago when I, when I researched that. It, it may be a lot more than that. But still, even in America, that's, we, we, the common American thinks that's not who we are, right? Number four, I gotta go. Number four, it'll become the catalyst for a church planting movement. Movement. You know the idea is not just to go to some place and plant a church. The idea is to follow through on what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 teaches, is that we make disciples. And so uh, here's, what, here's what church planting is in, in, its, in a simple and pure form and I think I'll preach on this during our missions conference, but church planting is meeting people and telling them about Jesus. And this comes right out of Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Meeting people, telling them about Jesus, bringing them into a body of saved, baptized believers and teaching them to go meet people and tell them about Jesus and bring them into a body of saved, baptized believers and teach them to go meet people. That's a church planting movement. And, it's, and, and the one word for it in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, not found in the scripture, but the one word of what is being described there is discipleship. Making disciples, making followers of Jesus Christ. So we want not just for an American missionary to go to the foreign land and open his English Bible and win a bunch of people to Christ and have a church. The idea is to train those people to go out. And when you send them out to go talk about Jesus and make disciples, and plant churches, what do you send them out with? They've got to have the Bible in their own language. They can't go to the next village and say, the, the, the missionary from America told me that the book God gave us says, that's not, that's not good enough. But if you can open the Bible and say, let me tell you what God says. It's right here in our book. It's in our Bible. Number five, <clears throat> And this follows right on the heels of number four, but it will allow national pastors to preach the gospel with authority. You can't send out a preacher whose authority says, comes from, uh, this is what the missionary taught me. Uh, this is what I learned from the white man's Bible or from the Christian's Bible. And, and how strong would, would the people become in that church, even if he could win a few people to Christ, how strong would they become in the true doctrines of the Bible? In our translation project in southern Uganda, uh, Pastor Eliab, who's in heaven now, he died about a year ago. But he spent 13 years with us translating the New Testament. A dear saint of God. He had a church of about 100 people and a Christian school, Christian day school of 600 kids. <laughs> he was a, a go-getter. 
But here's what he said. He could speak English, right? And he knew the English Bible, and, and he helped us translate from the Greek uh, into their language, but he could read English. And here's what he said, Pastor Eliab said. When I have to translate from English to Runyonkore, I don't always get the real meaning. But when I can read it in my language, I can preach it with real meaning, and it impacts my people. Number six, it will become the means of maturing the churches. The means of maturing the churches. <clears throat> Do you know that in the, in the text we looked at earlier, verses 17 through 35 is, is approximately 18 verses there. And in Paul's farewell message to these leaders of Ephesus, he makes a reference to the scripture in some form or fashion nine times in 18 verses. Concluding with verse 32 where he says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. So this was Paul commending the future of that church to the God who was able to preserve it and the word that was able to guide it. If I told you, if, if, uh, let's, let's make it even more real. If Pastor Monty came back the next time he's here, when his trip is over, he's back in the pulpit, and he stood up and said, you know, we've been following the Bible in this church, but this is not going to be our primary source now. There's, there's a lot of changes in our world. It's a different world we live in, and we're, we're just not going to take the Bible literally like we used to. Boy, we would be in an uproar, wouldn't we? We would be saying, oh, no, it's not going to be that way, or we're going to get another pastor, because... This church is founded on the Word of God, right? The maturity of this church is dependent on this book right here. And so how does the church grow without the pure Word of God? What, what, if, um, what if a false teacher comes in? Remember the warning I looked at earlier? 29 through 31, or uh, yeah, verses 29 to 31, Paul's talked about uh, the false teachers who will come in. If, if a pastor... One by a missionary is trying to reach a group of people and he doesn't have the Bible, what does he counter false doctrine with? Well, the missionary said this. Well, that's not what I believe. Uh, well, you're wrong. How are you wrong? How, how am I wrong? But if the, if, the, if the man can open the Bible in his own language and say, well, here's how you're wrong, right here. That's how we, we mature the church. That's how we safeguard the church. Um, <coughs> No one can remember everything the missionary said. Nobody can remember everything the missionary taught them. So the only thing that will ever stand the test of time and be there long after the influence of the missionary is gone is the Word of God. It's the Word of God that gives us doctrine and correction and reproof and instruction in righteousness. And, and when the church begins to study the Word of God for themselves in their own language, they begin to apply Bible truth and Bible theology to the practical aspects of their own lives. Can I give you a quick illustration on that? And I have to hurry and be finished on that. I'll give you a quick illustration on that. Suppose a missionary goes to a Muslim context and he wins a man to Christ. And then after the man gets saved, he truly gets saved. He, he comes to Christ, he's weeping. He's, he knows he's a sinner, he trusts Jesus. And then he says to the missionary, well, I, I, you know, I have four wives. <coughs> what do you do about that? Which ones do you tell him to divorce? I mean, a guy should only have one wife, right? I mean, nobody wants four mother-in-laws. I mean, that's just kind of ridiculous. But how do you tell the guy to handle that? I'm telling you, that's a thorny issue. And it's, and it's an issue that has to not be fixed on the spot 
by your proclamation of God's word, but it is an issue that needs a change in their culture. And what will change their culture is the word of God in their language that will become applied to the daily aspects of their lives and the facets of their lives. The uh, eldest son of a Tibetan inherits everything. The, the younger uh, siblings don't get anything. The eldest son gets it all. <coughs> and if he wants to, he can share it with his younger siblings, but he doesn't have to. And his younger siblings can't get married without his permission. So what frequently happens is the eldest son will share his wife with his younger brothers. How do you fix that? Well, you can declare the truth of the Word of God, or you can put the Word of God in their language and begin teaching the principles of home and family and marriage and, and, and sexuality and what's right and wrong, and let the Word of God change and impact the culture. Number seven, it will help avoid syncretism. <coughs> you know that most, can I, can I be so bold enough to say that most of the world's false, false religions are a blending of many different ones? Um, Sikhism, prominent in India, where they wear the big white turban, is a blend of Hindu, Hinduism and uh, Islam. Animism is a blend of spirit worship, ancestor worship, and Islam. And so there's a whole lot of mixing up of truth because the devil is the master craft, craftsman when it comes to diluting truth and mixing it up with something that will, that will change it and pervert it. So if we want them to avoid False teaching, again, it goes back to my other point. We've got to put the Word of God in the language of the people. Number eight, it will mean that God can be glorified by another kindred and tongue. Someday we're all going to be at the throne of God. Revelation 5 and 7, we're going to be worshiping God with every kindred, tribe, and tongue. And put the Word of God in the language of the people and let that change their lives and bring their culture to the kingdom of God. And they will join us at that throne and He will be glorified. Number nine, <coughs> This is the last one, but it's not necessarily the least one. It will have practical impact on the people and culture in a way nothing else ever can. Not only will it have spiritual impact, it'll change the way they see God. You know, most of the world is scared of God, or should I say scared of gods. They are, they are motivated by fear in all they do that has anything to do with the spiritual realm. And, and the power of the Word of God is it can change the way they see God. They can learn that we can love him because he first loved us. It'll have social impact in their lives. It'll change the way they see themselves and their relationship with others. Do you know, the, you know what the answer is to genocide? you know what the answer is to what's happening right now in Israel? The Word of God. Uh, better health, better education, better uh, training of children, better marriages, better employment situation, better... Uh, agricultural situation, it's all, it's all in, in, in interwoven with the scripture. Uh, economic impact, creation of wealth, better living conditions, people learn how to manage their finances better. Uh, if we could permeate India with the word of God, they would stop worshiping cows and rats while people starve. Political impact, cultural impact, the answer for all of it is the word of God in the language of the people. And we're going to get a chance to take part in putting together Scripture in the language of the people that's going to go to northern Brazil and touch many, many lives. No limit to the lives it can touch by our involvement in this project. God bless you.